And so as we begin our time this morning, I just want to begin by uh, just asking us to remember two primary facts about this whole idea. And we're talking about our priorities, uh, both as parents, but really priorities as disciplers in in the world um, and with those whom we come in contact with. And And two primary things we need to keep in mind. First of all, one is this, that the Bible provides teaching that is comprehensive. Uh, we know that. I mean, we hear that here in our church constantly, that the Bible is comprehensive. And what we mean by that is that whether you still have children in a home or whether you're in some kind of discipleship relationship outside the home, um, you cannot separate any aspect of that relationship from the whole counsel of God. In other words, it's not a separate entity over here that we do. When we talk about parenting, parenting is not something we do, and then we have our Christian life. And then we talk about the Scriptures from time to time. It's integral. It's it's part of it. Why? Because the Scriptures are comprehensive. And so when we think about discipleship and we think about parenting, it would be wrong for us to think, and incomplete really, for us to think about the practical, how do we go about doing this? How do we disciple our children? How do we disciple our grandchildren? How do we disciple those we have relationships with? Separating that from the aspects of who God is in his own character, or separating it from the nature of man and the makeup of man in his heart, the sinful, the sin salvation relationship uh, and, and sanctification process that comes with Christian life. The the duties we have <clears throat> as Christians are the same duties, whether no matter what role we are in, we cannot separate those realities from who God is, from who man is without God, and from the relationships that that we have in light of that, because the Bible is comprehensive. It covers all of those things. And so that's that's the we have to remember that when we think about this, that the scriptures are comprehensive. We have in our world today all kinds of voices coming at you from all kinds of things, especially when it comes to parenting and raising children. And we forget about the scriptures. We kind of sometimes g- gravitate towards those things when actually the scriptures tell us all we need to know about all of those things. And so that's what we mean when we say to remember that the scriptures are comprehensive when it comes to these kinds of things. Also, uh, that's simply to say this, that we have to remember that our discipleship relationship has to look at the truth of the Word of God and His work in our entire life, not just an aspect of our life, not just a portion of our life, not not a spoke in the wheel, but it is the center of the wheels that everything else runs through. Um, in other words, the Bible has every answer we need. We've heard that even in our series on Second Peter, as we've been studying on Second Peter, right? It has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so, Therefore, when it comes to our own parenting, it gives us everything we need. So, <clears throat> for those of you with parents who said, ooh, parenting, this is going to be great. I'll learn how to get my kids in the right place and have these nice little 
ways in which I can have nice children to grow up with, nice societal people and all these kind of things. If you're here for that, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed because I'm not going to give us over the next 10, 12 weeks, 10 steps to a better person. I'm not going to give us moralistic ideas on how to, how to get your child to obey you or whatever. Uh, what our goal should be is that we should be here so that we become more biblical in our life. Whether that's as a parent, as a grandparent, as someone in a discipleship relationship with somebody else, we we just want to become biblical. And so for us to be biblical in those things, whether it's one of those roles, no matter what that role is, we have to first then have certain priorities uh, that we think about. And the priorities that we're going to talk about, I'm going to list them out as commitments. You see that on your sheet. There's certain commitments that we want to be committed to when we start, this is where we have to start. This is foundational stuff that we have to start on. And some of you are going to go, well, that's pretty basic. Yes, it is. But, but these basic things are sometimes the things we forget most often. We forget to go back to the basics. And so these are things that we have to have our commitment to. These are the priorities that we need to have in order to be uh, a biblical discipler, whether it's discipling in the home or otherwise. And the first one is this, right? We have to be committed, a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. A commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I was to say, what does that mean to us? What would our answers be? If I was to say, we need to have a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. What what does that mean? What's that look like? Anybody? Silence, coffee. I want coffee. I need to wake up. You're moving way too fast. You hit the gas pedal and I'm still in the back seat. What's that? A commitment to his word. Okay. That's one commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else? Okay. Okay, in order to have a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ in in any kind of realistic way, we have to be saved, right? That's what you're saying. We have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, there are some people in the world who say, I believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. There's no commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ there. But also, we have to remember that what we're talking about is a singularity or a singular focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? There's no other gods before me, God said. This is a singular commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? No one else and nothing else can have ultimate jurisdiction over your life. This is what we mean when we talk about a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, at least in one side of it, a singular focused commitment to the Jesus Christ. No idols in your life in any area. Now, obviously, that's a pretty high standard because there's all kinds of areas that we fail in. We're not talking about the failures that we have. We all know we have them, but the desire, the direction and the focus of our life is that commitment singularity to the Lord Jesus Christ over everything else. There's no others before him in our life. No others before him. Secondly, it's, it's a comprehensive commitment, a comprehensive commitment, right? Matthew chapter 22, 
verse 27 through 30, Jesus is dealing with his disciples. And he says, you, you write the first commandment is to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That word all really is a comprehensive term, but it really speaks to, speaks to the intensity that we're supposed to have as believers when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's a total abandonment of ourself in every area of life. It's all. It's comprehensive. Comprehensive. And if that's going to be us, if we're going to have this singular and comprehensive focus to Jesus Christ in our commitment, that means we have to be continually educating ourselves in the things of Christ. None of us are here with the idea in our hearts that we know everything that we need to know. We have to continue to educate ourselves, continually be learning about God, continually be learning what He says about us, what He says about our lives, what He says about being in the world that we live in, what that looks like in every aspect, what it means and what He says about the family. We need to continually be learning through those things and about those things, if we're going to have that comprehensive reality taking its full effect in every area of our life, we're going to love Him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Numbers 15.39 says, Remember all the commandments of the Lord. And we ask the question, why? Why are we supposed to do that? Well, that same verse says, So that you would do them. Remember the commandments of the Lord so that you'll do them. So that you'll not follow, it says, after your own heart and your own eyes, after which, speaking to Israel, you played the harlot. In other words, you sold yourself out for another God, a God of your own making. God says, listen, keep my commandments so that you do them, so that that won't happen to you. Get other illustrations in Scripture in Psalm 42, this intensity, this drive to know God and to be, to let this comprehensive nature of this relationship with Jesus Christ, this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our life, take its effect or have its effect in us. Psalm 42, right, as the deer pants for water. That, that's the illustration. It's this longing, this striving for knowing Jesus Christ in the reality of what that means in every area of life. I think all these verses you have there in your in your text as references. Uh, we're not going to certainly mention them all, but you can go through them. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this. What? That he understands and knows me. He understands and knows me. You want to have a, you want to have pride of life? Then let that be the pride of life. That you know and understand Jesus Christ, and that is affecting every area of your life in a comprehensive way. Commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Of course, Luke 14 says it well when Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the cost of discipleship. You cannot follow me if you do not hate your mother, brother, sister, brother-in-law, sister-in-law. He not Obviously, we've mentioned this before. He's not talking about a hate like we think of hate. He's talking about if your love in any way for that diminishes your love for me, then you cannot be my disciple. That's not what discipleship to Christ looks like. It's full devotion to Jesus Christ. To walk, Colossians 1, in a manner worthy of the Lord. So we could really summarize all of that by simply saying that we, may, we have to be committed to, to no less than two primary things. If we're going to have that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to be comprehensive, it's going to be a singular focus and a comprehensive focus in our life, we have to then really be committed or to totally devoted to two things. One is the Word of God. The Word of God. Right? That that we understand that Scriptures are the only place we find absolute truth. The Scriptures are the, the very thing that explains life in every way. That doesn't mean there isn't answers in sciences and things like that, that God allows men to figure out why an amoeba has a, has a tail that's made up of 40 different little parts in the tail that makes it live when it swims in its liquid. Amazing, mind-blowing. Man would know that without a microscope. They can look deep into those things. But we know that the hand of God made that because God created all things. And so we understand the truth of that. We don't go, man, evolution's amazing how it came up with all of those kinds of things. No, it points us back to the Creator because the Word of God is truth. And the Word of God is how we come to know who God is. We come to know how God thinks. Come to know what He requires of us. Remember that crucial text in the New Testament, right? Second Peter chapter 3, I mean, uh, sorry, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture. There's that comprehensive term again. All Scripture. Right? Is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it is profitable. It's profitable for all of those areas. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There's a comprehensive nature to the Word of God. So when we commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, in the very essence of that reality, we're saying and and embracing the fact that we're committed to the Word of God. That that is where we go for our answers. That that is where we find truth.
Secondly, the second commitment or summarizing those commitments is not only are we committed to the Word of God, but we're committed once again to the God of the Word. Not a God of our own making, not a God of some other thing, but the God of the Word. That means He's supreme. He's supreme. He's authority. He's the ruler. He's the one who calls the shots. He's not the one who changes his mind. He gives us what he says. We get to know who he is. We get to know how he thinks in his word. We know what he requires of us. He is supreme. He is authority. And so because of that, because of that relationship, we live for Christ. Let's just look at a couple of these verses. I, I'm not sure how it's listed in your notes, that list of verses. I don't know. Let me see if I can figure it out how it's listed in yours. Oh, you have them all there written on the side. Okay, just like mine is. So you see there that list of verses there to go through. And I would just say to you and encourage you to go through those verses where it says we must grow in our relationship with him by growing in our, and it gives you that list. Those are just summary statements as to our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. This first priority that we have when it comes to discipleship. We have to grow because we're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're committed to the word of God and the God of the word. Therefore, we must grow in our relationship with Him by growing in our love for God. And you can, we're, we're not going to go through all these verses, but you can look through them on your own. Uh, we must grow in our repentance from sin, as it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, right? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So ap these are applications of the Word of God in our life. Genuine humility. Devotion to the glory of God in every area of your life. Not simply devotion to what we want. Things we, we think we need, but rather to the things that are God, of God. Devotion to His glory. And that may mean that there are times when, when you're going to lose face. There may be times in your own discipleship with your kids where you have to go to your kids and ask for forgiveness because you wronged them. Because as a parent, you did something that you realized from the Word of God was sinful. And so you may have been right in correcting your child because they might have done something wrong, but you did it sinfully. But because you're devoted to God's glory, it's not about you. It's about the glory of God, not simply in their life, but also in your life, and more so in your life. And so you may have to go to that person that you're discipling, that child in the home or someone outside the home that you're discipling, and go to them and say, you know what, I need to ask you to forgive me. I was wrong. I was wrong in how I responded. I was wrong in how I carried that out. I was wrong in what I did there and explain to them the reason and how God has convicted you and where, where from Scripture you were convicted about that. And you will grow in your humility. You'll grow in your devotion to the glory of God. You will grow in your prayer life. You 
You'll see the necessity, as it says here, of being separate from the world, because the world says, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. And what we're really getting at when it comes to discipleship is not behavioral change. That's what the world does. The world wants all kinds of behavioral change. That's how the world defines its morality. If I can, if I can adjust your behavior in a way that I say is moral, then I've done a good job. See, haven't I really helped you? Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily, because we don't work to that end. That's not the goal, as we'll see as we go on through the next several weeks. The goal for us is to honor and glorify God. That's the goal. That's the ultimate end, that God would be glorified. And that may cost us a relationship. It certainly will cost us our own personal desires and our personal wants, because it's about Him. And it certainly will cost us when it comes to the world, because the world wants nothing to do with God, and so we'll certainly find that we are separated from the world, because we'll stand for truth, and the world doesn't want truth. They don't want it in your home. They don't want truth in your life. And so you'll be separated from the world, but you'll be growing spiritually, and you'll find that your life is an obedient life to the to God, whom you're committed to. So that's the first commitment, this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, as Susan said, we must be saved. There is no commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ without salvation. Unless you've repented of your sins, embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no relationship with God. Other than this, He's judge and you will be judged one day. You'll be judged for your sin eternally. So that's where it begins. So you can't even, you can't even parent rightly without a relationship with Jesus Christ. All you can do is try to navigate some sense of morality that you've developed in your own mind and whatever you think is good or bad in comparison to the rest of society and try to navigate something that you find acceptable. That's all you can do. You find techniques to modify and manipulate and change and maybe get somebody to be a quote-unquote good citizen in society according to the definition of society, but that's not going to be good parenting. Why? Because we want to glorify God. That's what the Bible says. Do all that you do for the, my glory, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31. doesn't matter what you do, do it to the glory of God. So our parenting, our discipleship, is to glorify God. Not to raise little, great little citizens in society. Certainly, if we follow what God does, and they're a glory to God in their life, they will certainly have an effect on society. Number two. Commitment number two. And this really hones in more specifically within the the home and the relationship within the home, because this is a commitment to your spouse. A commitment to your spouse begins with a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be saved, being committed then to his word and the God of the word. But this is a commitment to your spouse. You say, well, how, how, how does that look? What's that look like? Well, when it comes to the marriage relationship, it's a unique relationship. There is a uniqueness to the marriage relationship when we look at Scripture 
And Scripture speaks to that relationships. And there are really four truths about this unique relationship. And I just, we'll just walk through these really quickly. If you have your Bible with you, Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll start. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Somebody read that for me. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. One flesh. So you know, yeah. And specifically, verse 24, you notice the uniqueness of this relationship that God designed between a man and a woman. It is an exclusive relationship which involves a leaving of the parents and a cleaving to the spouse. So there's this commitment that is built in to God's design when it comes to the home, a, an exclusivity. Between, a, a, between the spouses, a leaving and a cleaving in a relationship. This is, this is a crucial, crucial thing. I've seen so many problems when it comes to marriages, particularly young marriages when they start out, because oftentimes one of the partners in this relationship, the husband or the wife, do not exercise that principle in their own life. Yes, they may be proximity they're not living with their parents anymore, but in their heart, they're still joined to them so that when mom and dad speak, it affects the family a whole lot more than the relationship between and the exclusive relationship between a husband and a wife. And so when it comes to discipleship in the home, there has to be this commitment in your heart in your mind, to how God's designed it, and He has designed it as an exclusive relationship between spouses. That's the first thing of the how-to on this commitment. Second is Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. If you don't know where that is, go to Matthew and turn backwards a few pages and you'll find it. It's the last book of the Old Testament. The old joke is that's the Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, right? It's an exclusive relationship, this relationship between a husband and a wife, but it's also, secondly, a covenant relationship. Notice verses 13 through 16. Malachi 2, verse 13 to 16, this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because you no longer regard the offer because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, For what reason? Why? Why is God doing this to me? Why isn't God accepting my sacrifice? That's what's going on. Because the Lord has been a witness between you and and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by what? By covenant. 
by covenant. It's not simply a unique, exclusive relationship. It's a covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship. It's not a. It's not taken lightly. It's not. Hey, I'm in this really quickly on a whim. And you say, well, how do they violate this covenant relationship? But not one, verse 15, not one has done so who has a remnant of the Spirit. God's using the relationship between a husband and wife to show Israel that, listen, you, you do that because you don't know me. You don't have a relationship with me. You live by saying you have a relationship with me, and yet look how you're treating your spouse. This covenant relationship before me, look at look what you're doing. You don't have one. You think you do, but you don't have the Spirit. You don't have the Spirit. Why? And then look what he says, verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. That doesn't mean God doesn't forgive sin, even the sin of divorce. Obviously, God is a forgiving God. He forgives that when we confess those things. But the idea here is just this commitment issue that has been broken because of the exclusive nature and the covenant nature of the marriage relationship. We cannot think lightly about that when it comes to discipleship in the home. Can I think lightly about that? Why? As we'll learn farther down, our disciplees, i.e. children in home, grandchildren, see how we live, and they see what we say. And they say, really? You claim to know God. They may not be saying this with words, but this is what's going on. You claim to know God. You claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you live like that. You live like that? You treat dad or mom like that? And you're here telling me that I should do what? This commitment becomes an issue. We violate the covenant relationship and we need to take that to heart. So it's an exclusive relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Look at Proverbs chapter 5. I should just say Proverbs 5, right? Proverbs 5, verses 15 to 19. Talking about the relationship, this unique nature of the relationship between one another. Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 15, shows it's a, a unique, intimate, physical relationship. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let, the, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. This is the intimate reality and intimate nature and exclusivity of that relationship between a husband and wife. Obviously, we could 
if this was a class on that or something, we could go into First Corinthians 7, those areas that speak to that issue and how we are to handle that. You can look at those things on your own. But just in this commitment to, to our spouses, we see the reality of its exclusive nature as God designed it in Genesis 2. We see the covenant relationship that it is in Malachi and the intimacy involved that God designed into it, and that too being an exclusive reality for one another. But then I think we get to the the grandest of places for explaining or seeing the the picturesque nature of the marriage relationship, and that's Ephesians chapter 5. This is the next one in your list, Ephesians 5, verse 23 through 33. And we see this beautiful picture that God paints concerning the relationship between a husband and wife and what it pictures, what it shows. Now think about that. Think about that in your home, in the home of your own parents, the grandparents of your children. Think about this picture and why God says these things to both wives and to husbands. Right? Wives, verse 22, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. You see this contrast going on. It's not about subordination. It's not about hierarchy. It's not about uh, suppression of one over the other or elevation of one above the other. It's not about any of that. It's about Christ, the picture of God's love for the church. He himself being the savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything a very interesting phraseology that God puts there in reference to a relationship because we don't like the word submission. We don't like that. We don't like the word of anybody having authority over us in any kind of way. And yet here God says to the woman, do this, do this because It's a picture of how the church is subjected to me. You're a picture to those in your home, whom you are discipling, as to how they relate as a Christian in the body of Christ to Christ. And that's a huge thing. And then, he, and then he turns it on the other side and talks to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. What did he do for the church? He gave himself for her. Why? So that he might set her apart, sanctify her, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present himself to himself the church in all of its glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and blameless. Listen, if husbands understood that, 
in the home, they would never abuse their wife in any kind of way, ever. If we understood the picture that we are to those in our home and what the wife is as God has designed it for us as husbands, we would never do anything to abuse them because Christ does nothing to ever abuse his bride, the church, ever. That's why he sums it up in verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing picture. Amazing foundational reality that we ought to be committed to. We ought to be committed to those very things. We say we're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ought to be committed to the relationship as God designed it to our spouse. No other friendship, no other Think about that. No other friendship. Some of us have been married a long time. We have a lot of friends outside of our home. No other friendship, no other parent-child relationship that you might have shares any of those characteristics that we just talked about. None of them. You only have those characteristics with your spouse. We have to be committed to those whom God has given us in the home as our spouses. So third, this third or second, I have number two. Commitment to Christ, commitment to spouse. Within that, within that, number two, and this commitment to our spouse, within that is this commitment to the biblical roles within the home. And we've kind of touched on that a little bit as we looked at Ephesians chapter four here. There are different roles in the home, right? The husband is the leader. Um, in fact, First Peter three, verse seven, I think you might have that in your notes, shows us that if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, your prayers are hindered. I don't know, guys, if you've ever thought about that with any kind of depth of thought. First of all, we ought to be praying, but secondly, why is it that my prayers don't seem to be being answered by God or they're hindered in some kind of way? They're blocked. There's a block that's going on. It's like Malachi says, right? Why aren't your sacrifices being done? How come you're not accepting our sacrifices? Because of the way you're treating your wife. Why are your prayers being hindered? Because of the way you're treating your wife. What the Bible says, she's to submit to me, and she doesn't submit to me. So what? How are you treating her? Are you fulfilling what God has called you to be? a humble leader in the home that is learning about your wife, trying to live with her in an understanding way. I know we like all the jokes. Oh, there's no way to understand the mind of a woman. I mean, we think like that. That's what the world tells us. Listen, I, I don't want to understand the mind of a woman. I don't want to understand that. I just want to understand her and her, who she is so that I can love her rightly. That's what you ought to be showing your kids. 
what it's supposed to look like when a husband learns and loves his wife. If you don't know her that way, you're not going to know how to love her that way. If you don't lead your family, if you don't lead your family, something will. And oftentimes, sadly, because of the sinful bent of a heart of a woman that started back in the garden, they will take that and begin to lead. Not because they're bad. They're not bad people, obviously. You women here are married. You're not bad people. Those of you who have husbands, you're not bad. But you know when a husband won't lead, a wife will. It's not her role. It's not how God's designed her. It's not because they're not capable of making decisions, but that's not their role. Something fills the void. Can't let that happen. We have to do what God has called us to do. Why? Because we're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're committed to our spouse, because we're committed to the Word of God and to the God of Word. So if you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church, then her coming under your authority is just going to be forced and joyless. She's not going to want to do that. I mean, you have to ask yourself in an honest question, guys, when you look in the mirror in the morning sometimes, would anybody else want to live under your leadership? I mean, honestly, would you want to live under your leadership sometimes? And yet we demand that sometimes of our spouses. By contrast, if we're abiding in the things of the Word of God, James 1.25 says, you'll be blessed in your obedience, which is an implication of Malachi. If you just do what I ask you to do and love the wife of your youth, as I told you, then your sacrifices would be accepted. It would prove that you have a relationship with me. So the husband's roles are just to be a servant leader, to be a lover of his wife exclusively, and to be a learner, learn about her. What about the wife? The wife, got 10 minutes, so 12 minutes. The wife's to be a honorer, a helper, and a homemaker. An honorer, a helper, and a homemaker. Right? If you, Proverbs 14.1, you're not doing that, you're t- tearing your house down, Proverbs says. You're a fool. You're living as a fool in your own home. So if you don't honor your husband as God calls you to honor your husband, you're teaching your children that they don't have to honor him either. They don't have to do that. Don't worry about what the Word of God says. Only apply that when it feels good. Only apply that when it makes you feel good about yourself. No. Nope. See, we teach by our example. We hear that oftentimes. We know that. We've been, you know, anybody who's been a Christian for a long time, we go, oh, yeah, you're gonna, people are going to learn by example. But we, then, then why do we live the way we live sometimes? I would say this to you ladies, too. If you don't help your husband by giving wise input to your husband, and you're doing damage to your relationship. 
There's no one who has a more powerful sword of influence in a husband than a wife. And so I just say, be careful how you yield that sword. Be careful how you wield it. Because if you're not doing it with wisdom, Proverbs 14 says, you're tearing your own house down with your own hands. That's serious. That's serious. So your marriage, your relationship in the home, parents, grandparents, others, you know, it's the greatest opportunity you're going to have to teach your children what you really believe about what the Bible says about authority and submission, friendship, affection, all those kind of things. It's the greatest place you're going to learn that. Show your children that. So we have to have a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to our spouses. Number three, we have to have a commitment to our family. Commitment to our family. How? Through being committed to stewardship and discipleship. Stewardship and discipleship. You say, what are we a steward of? We're a steward of the truth. We're a steward of the truth. Right? The truth about who God is. The truth about what He does. Deuteronomy 6, right? We're to talk about it with our children all the time. When we lie down, when we rise up, when we walk around, when we're with them, we ought to be discussing the truth about God. We're passing it on. This is God's design for passing on the faith. God's design for truth going from one generation to another generation is through the family. This is why it's so destructive in our nation that wants to destroy the family. You destroy the family, you have no society. We are families. We are to make disciples in our own families, in our own homes. That's where it starts. And so you have to ask yourself, what kind of steward of the truth am I? What kind of steward of the truth am I? Those aren't just words. That's a serious question to ask. Are you, have you been an effective discipler in your home? If not, it's okay. In the sense that you realize it, that's good. Now begin to work on it. Sure those things up. And God will give measure of grace to you that will impact your spheres of influence for a lifetime. So we are stewards of the truth, but we are also stewards of blessings. What do I mean by blessings? I mean those kids that are in your homes, those grandkids that you have influence over. You're stewards of them. So not only are we committed to Jesus Christ, but we are committed to the reality that Christ blessed us with his own blessings called children. Children are, Psalm 127, right? Some of us can quote that. Children are a gift of the Lord. It tells us children are a gift of the Lord. 
How blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. Now, some of us have larger quivers than others. That's God's business. So Christians, as Christians, we're to be obedient to the Lord's command to make disciples. Matthew 28, right? Make disciples. That's why I say this is about discipleship in the home. When we talk about parenting, sometimes when we think about parenting, we think and we categorize it over here that that deals with that. No, it's Christian discipleship in the home. That's what it is. Discipleship begins in the home. And so we're to be faithful to deliver and to model all that God has told us in His Word to those within our homes. With a view to make disciples, right? Go and teach them all that God has told us. And then when they embrace Christ, Lord willing, we pray for that. We desire that. We want them to embrace Christ. Then we disciple them along that path. Helping to train them. Teaching. Monishing. Exhorting encouraging, all those things. And yet, prayerfully, we leave the results in God's hands. This is, this is part of the problem with our Christian families today in, in this whole idea of discipleship in the home. We try to do things. We manufacture things in order to get a desired result. You know, as long as I bring my children to church, as long as I put them in a good school or however you decide about school, as long as I do A, B, and C, then they'll be this. The Bible doesn't promise that. Never does. We know that intellectually, but we, we live as if that's not true. We live as if we can actually manufacture it. That's why the books that are so popular in bookstores today, Christian bookstores, are 10 steps to whatever. Ten steps to a better child or whatever, because it's all about behavior modification. If I can just do this, the child will do this. It's about producing some kind of result that has nothing to do with God and everything to do with my own selfish desire to say, hey, look at me, look what I've done. I've been such a good parent. Look at my children. Not about God's glory. It's about my own self-satisfaction. That's not what God calls us to. That's what God calls us to. And look at your sheet and look at that little history of Israel there and how Israel lived their lives and how God showed them exactly what they needed to be doing. They knew God, obeyed God, but they neglected the mandate of Deuteronomy chapter 6. They didn't teach about God when they walked by the way, when they rose up, when they lied down. And the result was Judges 21-25, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There's idolatry, there's chaos, destruction all around because they forgot God. Total rebellion. So if you desire obedient children, if you desire that, then pray for it. But first and foremost, as you're praying, you be obedient. To God. Begins with us. So ask your children, will, will my children, will my grandchildren remember or forget God because of how I'm living? Will they remember or forget God because of how I'm living? This is, listen, this is the strength of local churches. This is where the strength of local churches rests. It rests in families 
who are striving to glorify and honor God in their personal lives and their corporate and in their their group lives as a family together so that God is glorified, not produce little results. That's why we've said here, even at the, on the elder level here, about our philosophy of ministry and direction as a church. We, we don't want to have programs that will make people feel like they're Christians, that do Christian things, or at least they're labeled Christians so that people can feel good about themselves as Christians. No, we want to direct you to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in all that you do. We pray that God would produce those results as we pour the Word of God out over and over and over and over again and work in our own lives to try to model that. Some people say, well, that's just not going to work. That's not going to reach people for Christ. Well, listen, we're not, we're not involved or concerned with numbers. That's God's business. God's the one who saves people, not our business. He just calls us to be faithful. This is where we have to start in the home. We just need to be faithful. Faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the last commitment? Commitment to Christ, commitment to spouse, commitment to our families and stewardship and discipleship, and then lastly, commitment to others. Commitment to others. First, the church. We're Christians. If we're committed to Christ, if we're committed to our marital relationships, if we're committed to our family, then we will be committed to the church because it's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. Fulfill the one another's in the scriptures. Use your spiritual gifts, as Ephesians chapter 4 says in 1 Corinthians 12. Don't sit back and be a spectator. This isn't a spectator place. We're not here to put on a show so that everybody goes, oh, that's great. It reminds me of the old adage of the family that went to church years ago and and the offering plate came by and dad puts a small amount in the offering plate on the ride home. He's complaining about the church and there wasn't this and there wasn't this. The music wasn't this. And the young kid in the back says, dad, but it was a pretty good show for a dollar, wasn't it? Well, that's not us, right? That's not the Christian. The Christian is committed to the church, committed to using themselves in the church because it's family. This is family. So we use ourselves. But also, when we say we're committed to others, we're committed to the world. We don't mean that by way of fulfilling the desires of the world in our own lives. We mean that by evangelism. We're committed to evangelizing the world, making disciples of all the world. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is to fulfill the commands of God. Go and make disciples. And so this is where it begins. This atmosphere and relationships within our own home are our first opportunity usually to communicate the truths of the Word of God, the God we love, to the lost. You want to learn to evangelize? You got you got a whole perfect audience in your home, your kids. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Show them Jesus Christ and what it looks like to know Jesus Christ by your life. <clears throat> they're watching. They're watching. And they're going to see either your maturity and your stability, or they're going to see your discord, your lack of understanding of God even though you might claim to be wise, you're going to see it in your home. 
We have to be committed, committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to our relationship in the home between husband and wife, committed to the family and committed to others. And I'll just say this at the end, the commitment to and our devotion to Christ will determine those other three. Commitment to Christ is going to determine exactly how committed we are to those other three. I know that was fast and furious this morning. I, if you have questions, we can certainly see me afterwards or, or those kinds of things. We can talk about them. Um, this is where we're going. This was just kind of laying some groundwork. <clears throat> we're going to get into the parents' roles at one time. I think we're going to spend four or five weeks on that and how we kind of get into those details. You know, this is for everybody. Like I said, this isn't just a parenting class. This is for everybody because it's about discipleship. And these principles are universal, universal principles. 